The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah in the 31st chapter. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this covenant that I will make With the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our strength. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and uh, he was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, and his task from God was to both uproot and tear down, and also to plant and build up. So essentially, Jeremiah served as God's voice of judgment, but also the voice of hope. Uh, However, the majority of the book of Jeremiah is spent squarely in the midst of accusation and warning and eventual judgment. The prophet calls Judah's idolatry out in no uncertain terms, and he likens the the idolatry to adultery, um, calling Judah uh, a whore who has abandoned her faithful husband. And no one is saved from Jeremiah's accusations. Priests, kings, and other prophets are indicted by Jeremiah. Social injustice runs rampant. Widows, orphans, migrants, of course, are the ones who suffer the most from this. Uh, Jeremiah lays the gauntlet down, however, when he prophesies the destruction of the temple. He says, though the people worship God, worship Yahweh within its walls, outside they are spending their time dedicating themselves to the worship of foreign gods, and they are enacting 
their worship of these foreign gods in horrific and wicked ways, not least of which includes um, the brutal practice of child sacrifice. So God, through Jeremiah, declares that not only will the temple be destroyed because of these behaviors, but Jeremiah also warns that Jerusalem will be destroyed along with it and that the people will be exiled for 70 years. And all this will come at the hand of the Babylonians. Within the pages of the book of Jeremiah, these warnings come full circle, and we are witness to the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem. We walk with judgment coming to them. In the midst of this doom promised and enacted, however, we find a message really very contrary to the one that Jeremiah has been delivering throughout the rest of the book. In chapters 30 through 33 of Jeremiah, in what's often called the Book of Comfort, a message of restoration instead is given. There's been hints of hope tucked in and throughout the book, kind of weaved in throughout these pronouncements of judgment. But it's really not until these chapters that we see clearly that there is more in store for the exiled than you would think when you read through the book of Jeremiah. This section of scripture describes how God will bring his people back from the land of exile and how he will restore their fortunes. After exile, God will renew the covenant that the people have so flagrantly broken. But how is it that God will do this? people of Judah are stubborn of heart and they're wicked in their ways? How could they ever obey Yahweh? How could they ever turn back to the law they so brazenly broken? So many times, over and over and over again. How could Judah be once again betrothed to the God, to the husband that they've been unfaithful to? The only way forward, it seems, is back. God will once again do what God has always done. Throughout the whole story of redemption, God has made covenant with his people, and he is ready to make a new covenant now. The old covenant between God and Israel that was mediated through Moses right after the slavery in Egypt had come to an end. Um, that slavery and rescue, however, the exodus, it didn't even prove enough to uh, create fidelity in the Israelites. From the outset, they were flirtatious with other gods, and they outright betrayed Yahweh in their wicked and immoral conduct. And despite the attempts of the prophets before Jeremiah and of political reforms during the time, Nothing was going to change without a fresh encounter with the God who is once again willing to covenant with his people. So the law that was once only engraved on stone tablets would now be graved, engraven on the hearts of the people. So the law will remain the same, but the people will change. So as I mentioned, our scripture today comes from a passage of Jeremiah that is kind of an anomaly within the book. The pronouncements of judgment and the plethora of sin and idolatrous worship of other gods and the enactment of this punishment by the involvement of 
Babylon push hope to the very edge of our minds as readers and of course the minds of the people who were suffering through these things. In other words, hope is in pretty short supply uh, in this book. When I was reading through this, I couldn't help but think that this sounds pretty familiar. And though I wouldn't suggest that we of Judah or that we are in exile as they were, but like Father Lee mentioned last week in his sermon, we are and have been in a season of longing for deliverance. Longing for deliverance in what feels like an endless Lent. And any glimmers of hope that we've had during this time have felt kind of suspect. It feels like the other shoe is always on the verge of dropping. It feels like some fresh hell is just around the corner. The wilderness is on our doorstep and in our hearts. So how did Judah believe what Jeremiah said in the book of Comfort? How did they believe that this could be true? How do we believe that it could be true now? I think that hope, if nothing else, requires a deep and holy imagination. I think it requires us to see beyond what our eyes could ever hope to see. I think it requires us to trust that God is a God who keeps his promises. I think it goes without saying that the language of the new covenant, of course, brings to mind Jesus. It brings to mind his words as he institutes the Holy Communion. They're words that we hear each week as we're invited to the Lord's table. They're words that precede both Jesus' death and resurrection. And what if not those two events require our utmost imagination? What if not our imagination can assist us in our belief and ultimately in our hope? This never-ending Lent will end. Surely, declares the Lord, the days are coming. In the midst of what may feel reminiscent of Jeremiah's judgment and punishment and exile, we must trust that Easter is coming and that Easter will always come. We must trust that Jesus' blood of the new covenant will always prevail. Perhaps an exercise in imagination, um, I want to read a passage from a novel written by Jordan McDonald. Uh, the novel is called Gilded. But hark, the herald of the sun, the auroral wind, softly trumpeting his approach. The master minister of the human tabernacle is at hand, peeping before his prow a huge ripple-fretted wave of crimson and gold. He rushes aloft, as if new launched from the urging hand of his maker into the upper sea, pauses, and looks down on the world, white raging storm of molten metals, is but a colt from the altar of the Father's never-ending sacrifice to his children. See every little flower straighten its stalk, lift up its neck, and with outstretched head 
been expectant. Something more than the sun, greater than the light, is coming. Is coming. Nonetheless, surely coming that is long upon the road. What matters today or tomorrow or 10,000 years to life itself, to love himself? He is coming. He is coming. And the necks of all humanity are stretched out to see him come. Every morning will they thus outstretch themselves? Every evening will they droop and wait until he comes? Is this but an air drawn vision? When he comes, will he indeed find them watching thus? Surely the days are coming, says the Lord. Surely this Lent will end. Surely Easter is coming. Jesus is coming. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.